Thanks, y'all. Hope you're ready to have a good Thanksgiving. We know it's a, a potentially meaningful day. Um, it's like, what can you say? It's potentially meaningful. Um, also, uh, that there's um, a lot that goes into it. And so just know our staff is praying for you. We prayed last week just for the highs and lows that you would experience God. I'm going to get the clicker. One of the things we're going to start with is uh, just maybe uh, just talking about how, you know, we're a community where uh, we mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And we have some uh, sad news close to home and then spreading out. I just wanted to share. Uh, some people are aware of this and some people aren't. But our friend in ministry, Seung Yu, passed two Fridays ago. Um, he was part of our ministry called Agape Church for the Homeless. Uh, was a beloved partner and friend of ours for more than 10 years and was someone who we just loved to uh, be with, to work in the city with, to greet our friends who lived outside with. And even just uh, more recently as this past year, he was trying to get Agape started, you know, uh, as the pandemic still was happening. I was saying, can we meet together? Is there any way it can be safe? And so that was the last kind of big effort he did for Agape. And even at that time, his health was pretty poor. And so uh, his service, uh, memorial service, will be two Sundays from now. And so some of us actually won't be at church because we'll be at that. But just please be praying for Jackie, um, his wife, also his two sons. Um, it's something that we just want to say is heavy on our hearts and to, to pray about. Um, and then a little bit uh, further away, but still close um, to us is our own city. We've been praying for peace in our city. And we were meeting as a nonviolence group. And it was a sad thing to hear that there are now 10 homicides. So at our cry for peace, there were eight. Uh, there were two that were really underreported. And so we just want to continue to pray, to pray for peace in our city. And then you probably saw the news today. See, there's another mass shooting. This is now in the 600s for us as a nation. I think there's about the same number of uh, folks who have passed, and then it's more than double in terms of injuries and fatalities. And this particular one, um, it's at an LGBTQ nightclub where the shootings happened in Colorado Springs. Uh, we don't really know more than that, but in some ways we know enough in terms of saying, let's pray for creativity and blessing and peace for Christian churches in Colorado Springs to love, to bless, to see and support, knowing that um, different people are gonna pit these communities against each other. And again, we don't know much more than what I just said, but I'd love for us to pray for the church, for the church to be courageous, generous, hospitable, and to be a group praying for peace. We've been praying and acting here locally. There's some things where things are far and we can't really do uh, as much as we'd want to in terms of like, how do we do things in Colorado? Well, we know we can pray. And we can pray specifically for the arm that God has there, God's church, to show up and to support and to reach out. Uh, so let's pray for that together, and then I'll continue on. God, we do pray, um, again, with sadness. We pray with a sense of um, sobriety about things that have happened that have affected our body, from a personal loss to a loss of life in our city again, to now another tragic thing happening in our nation. Not just another gun shooting, but one with these dynamics. God, we pray for peace where there's violence. We pray for love where there's hate. We pray, God, for the church to be creative, powerful, and strong. Lord, we dare to say um, that your witness in this nation can grow to be creative, can grow to be one that impacts even the numbers of homicides we see, even the mass shootings we see, we dare to believe that we could make an impact, God, even with darkness around us.
So God, help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for praying, and please keep praying about those things. The big message today is that Jesus has sent you. You might be asking, where, how? But that's the word. Jesus has sent you. And he sent you to be here, to be you know, close, to be a little bit farther, and even to the ends of the earth. Jesus has sent you. And he sent you with this expectation that it's going to be vulnerable to be sent out. And in your vulnerability, instead of seeking comfort, you can expect a few things. You can expect welcome, you can expect rejection, and you can expect always at the end of every day to return home with Jesus. This is what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to be sent out? And for some of us, we think when we hear sent out, we're like, oh, this is great. Like, I signed a lease. Like, I bought a home. I'm in New Haven. Like, right here, you know, not sent out. But I want to have news for you. It's not just folks that go far away, but it's for all of us. And I thought, because we have some friends that actually are doing ministry far away in Taiwan, Audrey and Gus, I want them to spoil it for you, to say even before they were sent out, I want them to answer and share how they felt like they were sent even before they left to Taiwan. So I wanted to start this talk just by hearing from Audrey and Gus. You give them one round of applause. This is Audrey and Gus's last Sunday with us. Uh, if you, uh, we were as, uh, in a home group together, so it's so great to have them um, each week. But I just thought uh, this would be a great thing for you all to share with us because you're going back and you're going on the field. But I think too many times we say, okay, you go do it. But you actually guys were living a sent-out lifestyle even before you went to Taiwan. So can you share more about that? Okay, for myself, um, uh, I grew up in Australia, and my, my family, they, we didn't know Jesus. And so when I was a young adult, I came to know Jesus. And so I feel that one of my sent places or people is my family. Um, and the other one is I used to work in corporate, and um, I spent a lot of time with my team and um, at work and outside of work, and I really considered... Um, those guys part of where God has, God sent me. Yeah, so I was sent from New Haven, and for me, oh, I mean, Elm City Vineyard was planted, I think, the year before I left, and um, it was always been, it's always been a really big part of this church's heart to, like, love our city, and so um, I always felt called. I actually didn't know I was going to be going overseas at the time. I thought, well, I was ready to stay here. And I was not, actually, I was really quite um, grieved, um, like, in terms of, I was really sad to leave here. Um, I could have really stayed. And there were people in this church who were really invested in New Hallville. There was a African-American pastor named Pastor Tracy who started a church out in New Hall, or started a youth center in her church in New Hallville. And there were folks from this church that were um, working there. And so I was one of the volunteers that helped out. Um, and um, I just, I tended to think of being sent out as being sent to parts of New Haven that were more marginalized, because I've always had a heart for folks who are home marginalized. But you know what? I felt like I really learned um, when I got was getting ready to get married to jo to Gus, and um, in my transition to New Haven uh, to uh, Sydney, 
one thing that I wish that I had really known and um, kind of lived out in my being sent out here in New Haven is I think I didn't realize just how much working out um, conflict in the mundane, <laughs> in just my everyday life. So I lived in a community house here in New Haven. <laughs> Josh is laughing. <laughs> yeah, I lived in a little community house. And you know, like having roommates and people who are like coming in and out. And uh, it's just, it's, you, there's a lot of friction, right? And so I think that there was a really wonderful opportunity for me to work that out and find out more about myself. But I actually didn't really see it that way. I thought of it um, as just, oh, I better just cope. Um, but um, I was, when I was in Sydney, um, the Lord really, there were some pretty hard things that happened in terms of conflict. And um, I really had to, um, well, I really heard the Lord, um, the word of, of Jesus when he prayed for us as disciples. He prayed that, um, I pray that, he prayed that we will be one as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one so that the world would know that we that he was sent from the Father. And I suddenly connected that working out biblically um, conflict, like learning how to respond to that biblically, was actually part of my mission. And it might not actually, I don't know, um, might not be that visible um, ostensibly, but actually um, I started to see the ways that, gosh, Jesus is so radical in the way that he challenges us to work on that. And so that was a really, really big part of what it meant for me to be sent anyway. So, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll miss you all. <laughs> Can you all stay up here? While we have them up here, I'm going to quickly pray for them. So extend a hand of blessing. And Lord, we just say right now, for Audrey and Gus, would you pour out more of your spirit? God, thank you that you continue to send them out every day. You send them out in their days. You send them out, God, as uh, a married couple blessing the world around them. And Lord, we just pray for more of the Holy Spirit to come, more of your gifts, more of your... Um, character to grow in them. And thank you that they've been a blessing to us. God, we just say, help us commit to pray for these ones and support these ones every day to support them season by season and to welcome them back when they come back again in about two years. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Yes. So you heard it. Hot off the press. Folks that are doing sent out work out there, still, before they went out there, were doing work right here. They saw themselves as sent out people so we can do the same. Because I think sometimes we do feel like, oh, it has to be someone that's out in a mission field or a faraway country. I couldn't necessarily be sent right here. But I don't think that's true. We're all on a journey oops, of becoming, picture of Audrey and Gus that I forgot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of becoming uh, sent ones. And God starts that work right now. One of my favorite scriptures is in the book of Acts. We're gonna be mostly in Luke today, but Acts is like the sequel to Luke. And it's Jesus saying this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And witness is this word that actually comes from martyr. It's about being with Jesus, being a representative of Jesus. But I love these places. Jerusalem, which is this cultural kind of marker of what it means to, uh, in that day, be a Jewish person. The cultural marker of this central place that was really near to the culture. Judea, which was the, the Jewish countryside, kind of the neighborhood. Samaria, which was 
<coughs> this place that was uh, known for being close, near, but with the wrong kind of people, people that didn't worship the right way, and there was a lot of friction and conflict there, and then to the ends of the earth, which is important for this community. That wasn't a far-off place on a map. That was literally like the unknown. There wasn't a map there that had like the farthest place, right? It was just the unknown. So for us, I kind of translate that to be something more like it's near, it's familiar and close, it's close but different, and then it's far, far away, not just in terms of a place, but even in our imagination. Like where God, where might God be sending us? That's part of what I see in Acts. And remember, Jesus says, wait, wait for the Spirit to come, and then go to these different places. So we're sent out close, we're sent out a little bit farther, we're sent out farther still, but with folks that are more just culturally different, it's still close by, and then to the ends of the earth, to places we never even thought we could go. And we're going to continue that theme next week in our Advent series called Near and Far. It's basically looking at God's work in our heart, God's work in our family, God's work in our neighborhood, and then God's work even throughout the world. So we're going to be picking up on this theme of something starting in close to us, like it starts with Mary and Joseph, moving out to family, moving even further out to the neighborhood, and then furthest out to people knowing who shouldn't even have known who Jesus is, the, the people of Israel. And yet they're saying, who is this person, this new king that will be born? So more on that next week. Today what we're going to do is look at Luke 10. It's one of my favorite chapters of scripture. I'm not going to nerd out and go into everything because we're only looking at one story, even though I might reference another, but mostly one. But there's some great stories here, so please, uh, you know, maybe get into this during the week. <clears throat> I'm just going to start by reading the first part of the passage. Before I do, I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to be with us in our time. So Holy Spirit, we just say, as we read the word, would we be impacted, alerted, and aware to what your spirit is doing? Help us, God, track with you, with what you're doing in us, what you're doing in our community. We say, come Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Luke 10 is an adventure in the life of Jesus. Let's read it now. One through four. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. This is the first time we see in Luke where the disciples are being sent out without Jesus. They usually had been going kind of in a crowd, right? Jesus was there, there was more people, and then more people, and then more people, until there's probably maybe like 72, right? And then he's like, I need to split y'all up. 72, it's not the number anymore. It's two by two. And I think even when it starts to be two by two, you're like, uh-oh. Like, you don't want us to go alone. So that means like something is scary about this, because you're like, not, not just one, two. So it's like, uh-oh, Jesus is like preparing us for something. And then it's like not bringing a purse or a bag. Whoa, like what's that about? You don't have resources. You don't have like, I'm not sure if there's like an ID card, but like something that might say your name, like, you know, papyrus. I don't, I don't know what it was. But like there's, there's just not a lot that you carry with you at all. You're becoming dependent. You're becoming vulnerable. And we see here as these disciples are learning the way of Jesus, as they're starting on the way we see again that we're meant to be a sent out people. This isn't even like the Acts call for us. It's just like what it means to be with Jesus. Like they were already with Jesus, right? And they were sent out with him, but now he's sending them out without him, saying, go forward. 
you know, it's two towns that they're going to go to, actually. So it's almost like there's layers, right? You're hoping that God's spirit went before, then the disciples are going before, and then finally Jesus, the person, will go. So it's almost like the sent, the sent outness that we keep seeing. And we see here that people can expect two things, to be greeted, maybe even uh, see people receive, but we, we see that it might be a treacherous journey as well. This is part of how things start here. Even with the vulnerability of leaving the comfortable, we can trust God. Even with the vulnerability of leaving what's comfortable to us, we can trust God. Because at this point, everything we'll see here from here on out is full of vulnerability. I don't know what y'all think about that, but it's in everything else we'll look at. So in the vulnerability, we need to acknowledge we're leaving the comfortable to trust God. So at this point, kind of filling in for us what's important is important. What makes you comfortable? Maybe it's not having a purse or a bag. Maybe it's not only having, you know, one other person. But you got to think, what, what makes you comfortable on your journeys? What would happen if the Lord said, hey, to get that sent out reality, you're going to need to change that a little bit. There's also this question that's in the text of don't get distracted on the road. That seems really important. Some of you that have done, like, ministry things, you're like, oh, I know what that's about. Because sometimes you're in that conversation, and it lasts, like, an hour. And you're like, that was my time. Like, that, I'm done. Like, nothing can happen now. I talk with someone for an hour, and I guess I can say it's great, but it was a distraction <laughs> from the thing God was calling me to do. So you can ask, what gets you distracted when you're on the way, when you're on mission? We need to have God ask those questions of us and to answer them ourselves. What we're going to do for the rest of our time is just to continue to think about, even in vulnerability, we can trust God. We can trust God with three things. To expect welcome, to expect rejection, and then to always return home with Jesus. Expect welcome, expect rejection, and we can always expect to return home with Jesus, no matter what, no matter how it's gone. Like, there's nothing that can stop us from returning home with Jesus. That's what we'll do. We'll just walk through the text together, tell some stories. We highlighted Audrey and Gus's story. You'll hear a few more familiar voices if you've been with us for a little bit of time uh, that have been on the field and doing cool things for God. Wanted to include their voice today just to honor them as people that we've sent out. But again, we're all on the hook because we're all sent out people. So let's keep reading the scripture this time looking at how we can expect welcome. This is picking up in verse 5. Jesus says, When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. We're going to pause. For some of you, this is already pretty strange and not just the healing the sick part. Because you're like, wait, so I'm sent out, but we're not like gathering as two to like, you know, get some like, you know, drums or to sing and to like throw a little kind of like 
worship event, and then we're going like, to you know, call it something like blue or orange or catalyst, you know, or then do something else. Like, there's, there's just going into a home. Two people don't like make something happen. They're entering a space instead. And for some of us, maybe those of us that have been in the church longer, maybe those of us that have uh, just been familiar with what it means to yeah, serve, like a, a, a church, right? but isn't it all about people coming to you? Even what we're doing today, especially if you're a first-time guest, you're like, yeah, I found your information on the web, and, or like, I heard about you, or a friend invited me, now I'm coming to this place where none of us live, right? But we come here and then go out. So I think sometimes we think that's the model, but the model is different here, right? The disciples are going into places and saying peace to this house and then asking to be welcomed in. Now, think about how that would work for you on your street. Hey, peace, neighbor's house. Knock, knock, knock. Hey, do you have some food for me? I would just want to hang out. And then, of course, I'm going to ask you later if anyone's sick to pray for you. You might be like, that's really odd. That's really strange. And yet, that's the way of the culture then. But here's we have to have a hard question. It's certainly the culture of the day. But how much of that culture is kingdom culture, not just Jewish culture, turn of the millennia, right? We've got to ask that. And I have a few cool stories. Now, one, you're like, come on, Josh, this is another place. It's still a different culture. And then one might, I might get you with one. But this other one is just a cool story. When I was in Uganda, which you could say is a culture that's a lot more like this time, um, this actually happened. Like, we would be going, um, kind of knocking on doors or saying we have good news to share with people. And then people are like, oh, you do? Well, you can't share it right now. We're like, oh, no. Like, was that a rejection? They're like, no, you got to wait. We're going to pull out our mat. We're going to get our tea. We're going to bring our food. We're going to sit down with you. We actually need to call more people from the village. So you got to wait at least 30, 45, maybe an hour because we all need to come hear this. And then you can finally share with us this good news. We're like, what? Like, that's kind of like the passage. Like, that's the Bible in real, like, it was just so confusing. But that's what people did. It's what they offered. It was their version of hospitality to say, no, we actually want to hear what you have to say. And in some ways, it wasn't even about wanting to, like, say yes to anything. They're like, that's just what we do. We're just people of hospitality who want to bless. So we were receiving the blessings of others as we prayed peace. It was amazing. But again, you might be like, that's, that's Uganda. That certainly could be New Haven. But it was really cool. When we moved into our new neighborhood in 2017 on Hobart Street in New Haven, I think it was a year, maybe two years in, um, we were doing these events for Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a church. And we were asking about hosting. And I don't know, Tina, if it was that our house wasn't ready. I'm not, I'm not sure why we asked our neighbors. We, were, we just asked our neighbors, hey, could you host this? Like, we, we're going to come, but can you host it at your house? And we'd love to come and invite our church, our, some of our community to come. They said, sure. So they brought out a spread. They, like, made their house clean. They, they invited people over that they knew, and we hosted the event at their spot. And I was like, wow, I think that was maybe kind of more like the passage, is we had some relationship. They weren't strangers. We said, hey, can you host this for us? Can, can we be with you in your space? And so I think in some ways there's a genuine challenge as we think what it means to be sent out and in those more local settings to think who might be willing to host you. Who, like, honestly, like, think about it. Who would be willing to host you if you said, hey, can I actually just, like, have a gathering at your place? I'd love to hear how you're doing, or I'd love to invite some neighbors over. Is that, like, even realistic for you? Or you're like, that's so far off. Maybe it's not your neighborhood. Maybe it's your office. Or maybe it's uh, a work or school relationship. But could someone actually open up their space to you, and then you open up the story of God to and with them? Because that's part of what it means to expect welcome. It's not just knock, hey, can I talk to you? 
come to this space that they'll forget about where it is. It's College and Elm. Is that even an address? Like, where's the parking? And we don't know. Like, you know, that, there's some hardship there. But just saying, hey, can we step into your space? People are often maybe more welcome to that than we think. And then what can happen? Meals together, asking, can we pray for you? Is there anything we can pray about? Is anyone sick here? God really does use that. I've seen that across the world, and I've seen that in our city. Who might host you and offer welcome? We've got to expect welcome. But also, we're expecting rejection, too. <clears throat> and I want to read this scripture, which is just a continuation. It's verse 10 and 11. Jesus continuing, But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. So be honest, right? Like, how does that sound to you? Like, can you see yourself doing this? Right? As I read the Bible, and as I struggle, especially with hard passages, sometimes I'm really encouraged by certain things I see. And I was encouraged by one as I was prepping this. I was like, whoa, people reject you, but you go to streets. Anyone else catch that? Like, people reject, right? But the follower of Jesus goes to a street. And actually, it seems like are speaking to streets. Isn't that weird? Like, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town. I'm not sure if it's like shouting at the person that just like, you know, shut their door. But it's like just kind of talking to the air almost, saying, man, I'm just going to rub, I'm going to kind of, you know, some people are Jay-Z fans, maybe like, you know, get the dust off your shoulders, right? Just like kind of dust it off. Like get, get a kind of a different attitude. Get something else off of you. And that's so interesting to me that there's a way that sometimes when we think about how to deal with rejection, we think there's such an obvious model of a person against a person. And Jesus has a whole other way of looking at it. No, the kingdom of God is still coming. It's like the kingdom of God didn't come. The kingdom of God is still coming, just not the way that you might have preferred. And so let's have a few honesty moments, and we're going to look at some cool things from Scripture in a second. But let's just be honest together. If you always did this sent out thing, and people always welcomed you, and you got good food, and you had cool healing stories, my sense is that you might always do that, <laughs> or do that maybe more than you're doing now. It's like the same question of praying for healing. You're, if you prayed for healing and you always saw healing, my guess is you would pray for healing more. But there's like a hump that we have to overcome of like, sometimes we pray for healing and we don't see anything, at least in that moment, maybe ever. And also for this, sometimes we get rejected. And it's really our rejection that keeps us from being obedient. <laughs> like our rejection keeps us from obeying Jesus, from taking an invitation and I actually really get convicted when I think about it this way. Like, oh, wow, like, I would be more obedient if I knew I was successful. Uh-oh, that's kind of dark, right? But I'm not obedient because I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of looking silly. I'm afraid of someone saying, haven't you read the news? Why would I ever do anything with Jesus? Too real? Too soon? But th that's our lives. That's our world. And Jesus says, still, I want you to do this. I want you to invite. I want you to be obedient. And he says the kingdom of God actually comes when we experience rejection. And I want to say, like, this response that Jesus has of going to the streets, it's actually even better than what the disciples did. Just a chapter before, I love looking at the scriptures contextually and seeing this. This is in Luke 9, just one chapter before. 
They're going to a Samaritan village that rejects Jesus. Spoiler. <laughs> when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, taken up to the cross and to his father, he sent his face to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus sent messengers ahead of him. Again, we see kind of Jesus' style of sending people before him. And on their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans. Remember, that's like that wrong people group, um, according to the culture, to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Little context there, Samaritans worshipped on, you know, this big mountain. Jerusalem was this kind of religious community. So Jerusalem was almost like an offensive place for them. It's like, nope, you're a Jerusalem person. We're not going to uh, receive you. So when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. We got to talk about this a little bit. (laughs) I love this passage. So James and John, again, don't know what they're doing. Don't know if they've, like, called down fire from heaven before. We don't get that story. Also, I'm like, these guys are struggling to do, like, ordinary Jesus-like miracle things. Like, really? Fire from heaven? Like, bro, that's you? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if they've done that before. But they're rejected, and they're so hurt. They're like, Jesus, you're going to call down fire on these people, right? And then Jesus is like, that's not how it works. I'm actually going to rebuke you right now. Because it turns out when Jesus' followers get too interested in rejecting people who have rejected them, we've entirely missed the mark, Right? entirely missed the mark. Jesus says, keep your eyes on you right now and our Heavenly Father. And so this other passage about go to the streets, I actually realize how revolutionary it is for the disciples to be doing this. Because they've actually just, at least for James and John, called down fire from heaven for anyone that's rejected them. And now Jesus is inviting them to go out without Jesus, two by two, to get welcomed and rejected. And we don't hear reports of that happening this time. The disciples are learning. They're growing. People who reject us, we don't need to reject. People that reject us, we don't need to call down heavenly fire. What we do is we say the kingdom of God is already coming. We dust it off our feet. We shake it off of our shoes, and we keep walking forward. I talk a lot about nonviolence in different circles, and for me, I'm like, that's a nonviolent response to go from consume them with fire to just shake off your shoes and keep walking. The kingdom of God's coming anyway. Can we expect welcome and expect rejection? One of our partners is Liz Moore, a church planter in Princeton. I asked her to send a reflection on rejection. She's been planting since 2018. Interesting date, right? COVID-19 happens right around the corner. Basically, she's had to like replant this church like two or three times in seven years. Words from Liz. Oof, stories of rejection being sent out. It's funny looking back on the course of feeling called to plant to where I am now in my vocational call because there has been so much rejection throughout. And yet there's something funny in those moments of rejection because I don't remember the devastation. What I remember is the nearness of God and the ways that God was kind and compassionate through the Spirit telling me that he knew that that, uh, things stung but that I was doing the right thing, to keep going, while also waiting to see what would come from these moments. Sure, there were things like families I knew in Princeton and had cared for in my previous ministry cold calling me with a, how dare you, a woman, plant a church in this town. Even being told I was not vineyard enough to be sent out as lead planter. Rejections of my vision and style of leadership from someone on my team where I was described as the worst thing that happened to Princeton. Honestly, while all of it was painful to hear, there is also something that just seems so silly about all of these rejections now. I almost think that the toughest rejections that I've battled and still do 
are the internal ones. I remember some folks praying for me while I was at the very early days of discerning planting. I was asked something like, is there anything that you feel like God is calling you to that you don't want to do? Without thinking, I blurted out, pastor. I both knew that was what I was called to do and felt deeply unsettled by the idea of pastoring. I wasn't sure what the roadmap looked like or how to grow into my call as myself and not a mold of a job where I could get lost. And I certainly had no idea how to plant a church. I felt called, so I decided to say yes to following Jesus to Princeton before it felt like I knew what I was doing. The imposter syndrome is no less real now, but I'm also sure that God has called me, not a phony or polished version of me, to Princeton to see the kingdom of God come more fully here. And I'm more interested in seeing more of the kingdom present around me than I am in letting rejections, internal or external, keep me from all that the Lord has in store. What a powerful testimony of some hard years, but connecting to Jesus in it and through it. Seeing that in rejection, guess what happened? The kingdom of God still came, forming Liz, shaping Liz, and also in some ways uh, rightly ordering and placing that rejection, not as the central thing in her life, but just as one thing that happened as she was saying yes to Jesus. There's an, an intimacy, actually, in being rejected and then still going to Jesus because Jesus doesn't fundamentally see it as us alone being rejected. Jesus says this in the next part of Luke 10. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whatever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Jesus actually gives us the privilege that we really need to take seriously and soberly that we are representing Jesus. Oof, that's a lot. And we need to ask for the Lord's help in that and realize as we do that, we're also not Jesus still, right? But there's this intimacy and connection that Jesus does give to us. And maybe that's why I felt like I was, one of the things in Liz's story that really caught my attention was that she remembers those stories feeling silly, even though I think for us as we heard them, we're like, oh, that, that stings, that's really hurtful. But I wonder if it's because she was experiencing like the connectedness to Jesus in that moment. Of course that's silly. If a living God is saying, I love you. I'm for you. Thanks for being obedient. Thanks for being sent out in the here, now, in the far away, in the everyday, in all those things. And that gets us to the last point. Always returning home with Jesus. Picking up in Luke 10, 17 through 24. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. 
That last part's one of my favorite lines in Scripture, that our everyday, our everyday reality of following Jesus, of being sent out today in 2022, is more than kings and prophets long to see and long to hear. And it just looks like everyday obedience. This isn't advanced Christianity. This isn't your most mature following Jesus. This isn't like your best effort. This is just what you got right now. Kings and prophets would long to see what you're up to. Can you believe that? Like, honestly, can you? Because I think it's more than true. It really is that the obedience of your life unto Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit would make kings and prophets of a whole different time say, oh my goodness, I didn't know this could happen. I didn't know God could feel that close. The empowering could seem so striking that people who didn't know, who were so far off, could come even closer than I could imagine. Last story before we wrap. This comes from Manjuri, who uh, is a missionary that we sent out a few years ago who serves in the Middle East. And she shared this story with me as I was talking about what does it mean to return home with Jesus? And she was talking about how in a lot of the cultures that she's working with, and even some of the workers in the field, a big thing is returning home with a gift. That you always come home with a gift. It's just part of the culture. It's part of hospitality. And this person who was a, a long-term worker was like, how do I return home with, to Jesus? Like, what kind of gift do I give him? Like, he's given me so much. Like, there's been welcome. There's been intimacy and rejection. There's been nearness. Like, what do I do? And then his thought was, I just give him my entire life. Like, I give him obedience. I give him surrender. I give him my service. And he had told that to a team. And they remembered that story. And then that team member was killed. He became a martyr. And the team remembered, wow, he, he actually said those words of his whole life, his everything. And he was saying them and meaning them in his everyday sent outness. Right? They saw it was true then. It wasn't like it became true when he got martyred. He was living a sent-out lifestyle already. But they were like, how much do we need to take seriously the call to return home with Jesus and to be thankful that our names are with Jesus no matter what? Because this friend of ours it was just said, I think we can only give him obedience. I think we can only give him our worship, our surrender. Actually gave his life. And maybe you're here wondering, like, okay, so how do I do this? How do I expect welcome? How do I expect rejection? How do I return home with Jesus? And I think the first step is just to listen to what God is calling you to do, to listen to where he's calling you to be sent out, and then just to follow ordinary steps of obedience. No one's asking you to have this man's journey today or tomorrow. And I don't think he thought he was having his journey today, tomorrow, or any day besides the last day that he had. It was just ordinary obedience for him, just like this trip. It was just a ministry trip with Jesus. And in some ways, doesn't it change our lives to think about our lives in that perspective? It's just a long ministry trip with Jesus, however long it is. Yes, we get older. Yes, there's life changes. Yes, there's hurts and conflict and unbearable pain. But it's just a trip with Jesus that we're having along the way. And all God calls for is our next step of obedience. That's all he's saying to us. Being sent out isn't for advanced Christianity. Being sent out does not need to involve a far-off country. It can start in our state. It can start in our city, in our neighborhood, in your workplace, your apartment building, even your family. But being sent out is vulnerable. But in our vulnerability, 
we can trust and expect God to be with us, to expect welcome along the way, rejection that won't be unbearable if we give it to Jesus. He can actually help us with it. And then to always know we return home, not to our failures, not to shame, not to any kind of despair. Return home with Jesus, who from the scripture is pretty joyful that we said yes to being sent out. Let's transition from this proclamation of the word, this hope of what we can uh, be called into, into more demonstration of what the Spirit wants to do. Remember one of those first scriptures I mentioned of Acts? We wait in the power of the Spirit. And I want to do that today, to wait in the power of the Spirit. I believe God does want to give us empowerment. So let's wait together. Just pray that same prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We wait on you for power from on high. For power from on high. I feel like God is giving conviction to people. I feel like one of the parts of conviction is um, if I'm not sent out, like who will be in my own setting? And maybe you know people, you're like, nope, I know people who are. <laughs> but I feel like for some of you, that's like, I actually don't know who would do that. And I feel like you might even be getting convicted about like, I don't want like a representation of what I believe to be what people consider or think or what gets in the way but you're like, I feel like it needs to be like a witness. And you're feeling a conviction that that witness is you. So a sense of like, I don't want it to be like the chaff anymore. I don't want it to be like this kind of, here's what a Christian is. Like, I feel like a sense of like, God's asking me to be someone that is sent out. And if that's you, if you're feeling conviction around that, I just want you to stand up as a way of saying yes. Yes to a certain kind of uh, call that you feel conviction around. Yes, I want to stand up to say I'm one who is seen and is saying yes to this call of being sent out. Doesn't need to be a big plan, doesn't need to have kind of anything attached to it, but just you're feeling this kind of growing conviction of, yeah, I want to stand and say yes to being a witness. So invite you just to stand up where you are. And again, this is something, you know, uh, bless you to follow the Spirit in it. But it's really a sense of conviction of this is something that God's like maybe even starting or highlighting. I want you to just look at who might be around you um, and to put your hand out to, to bless them.
Because God blesses the church in different season and in different ways with people he's sending out. And he empowers them with the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come. Come on these ones. And let them know that there's hope for them to expect welcome, to expect rejection that doesn't overwhelm them. And then to have a personal intimacy with Jesus that will help them all throughout the way. Yes, God. Just pray for more of your spirit right now. And we just pray, God, for a release of blessing in this room, even for those that are sitting right now and just wanting to bless. I pray right now just a, a blessing over our community to be supportive to ones where, like, oh, you're, you're meant to be sent out here. You're, you're sent out in that neighborhood. You're sent out on that campus. You're sent out in that workplace. God, just let our community be one that's quick to bless folks that we sense God sending out into families, into communities. God, give us that habit together. Yes, God. Amen. I want to do a few more things. Bear with me. One is just some invitations for everyone. Then Patrick's going to come up. And then there will just be one other thing that you'll have an option of doing in addition to getting prayer today. Um, so a few invitations. Uh, I want you to think you know, where are you already sent to reflect and choose maybe one intentional way to be hosted. I think that being hosted doesn't feel intuitive for me as I think about like our space and our room. Like that's kind of weird. So think about is there a way to be hosted with a, a place that where you're already sent? I think the second is be sent among the poor. Honestly, I do this for my friend Siung and also for the witness of Agape, which literally right now, I don't know how we'll continue. It's a sad thing. And I can't talk about it too much. Otherwise I get too emotional. But if you feel like, actually I feel like I'm meant to be sent among the poor, I really would love for you to talk to me or to a staff today because we're really wondering as a church, wow, we did this through Agape. And now like one of the people that was so uh, integral to that has passed. And I think sometimes when we, acknowledge that and do it publicly, God actually raises up new people and sends out new people. So if you have a, a, an, an inkling or an urge there, I'd love to talk to you even today. I think I feel some urgency on us as a community. You know, so much of what we did was through agape and we need to continue to be with the poor as the church. Um, this one feels weird and it is, but you know, invite people to our Advent gatherings. You'll see next week, there's tons of things that we're up to. This is more of the attractional model, but I just want to invite us, like, sometimes we have to meet people where they are and to dwell together. And some people are like, please don't come to my house. I don't want that. But I'll come to your space. You know, that's fine. And so just remember, you have a powerful invitation this season to invite people into life-changing and life-giving events that could really be impactful. So consider that carefully. And then last one, uh, bless someone who is living as a sent one. And so we have Audrey and Gus here. I'd love for you to overwhelm them with prayer and blessing. Please make it hard for them to leave this room. Unless they say, please, I need to leave, then of course let them leave. But I'd love for you to make it hard for them to leave because you're blessing them. Same thing with Liz. If you can email the church and we'll be able to get any encouragement we have for her as well as Marjorie. But anyone you know that is living as a sent one, um, whether it's, again, here or far, just grow in blessing those people.